Hello and welcome to the Memory Chapel podcast. Memory Chapel is a small, rural, non-denominational Christian church located on Banceville Road in 84, Pennsylvania. On this podcast, we feature an edited version of our Sunday morning worship service at the chapel and the Bible teaching of Pastor David All. Thanks for joining us. And now, let's get to the worship. Good morning. Welcome in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Would you take your hymnals this morning, open to number 304, Behold the Lamb. If you're able and willing, stand together with me as we sing. Number 304. Our call to worship this morning comes from the 118th Psalm. We will be reading verses 1, 2, and 19 through 29. Psalm 118. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. Let Israel now say, His mercy endures forever. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go through them, and I will praise the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous shall enter. I will praise you, for you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, 
I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. God is the Lord, and he has given us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, I will exalt you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. This is the word of the Lord. Perhaps you noticed in that reading of Scripture, the, uh, the phrase that was mentioned in verse 25, Save now, I pray, O Lord. Save now. That's an important phrase, especially for today, being Palm Sunday. On that day when Jesus rode into the city of Jerusalem on a colt, the foal of a donkey, when he rode in on that, on that beast of burden, the people waved palms, laid them down on the road in front of him, spread out their garments, made a path for him to ride upon, and they shouted out, Hosanna! We sang it just a minute ago. It means save now. Save us now, Lord. Palm Sunday, Hosanna, save us now. As we prepare our hearts to seek the Lord in prayer, let's thank the Lord for that great salvation that he has worked out for us through his son, Jesus. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for this day when we commemorate your son's ride into Jerusalem, when he was acclaimed by the crowds, when they sang his praises, when the religious leaders came to him and said, tell them to be quiet. Jesus said that if they would be quiet, why even the rocks would cry out in praise to Emmanuel, God with us, God in the flesh. We give thanks to you, Father, for sending your Son, who has become our great salvation through his finished work, through the redemption that he purchased on the cross, through his glorious resurrection and his ascension to the right hand of all power and authority. He is for us our salvation. We give thanks to you for him. In the name of Jesus, amen. Accept the praise we 
Amen. Hey, we turn in our scriptures this morning, and don't worry, kids, I haven't forgotten about you. I'll be calling you up in just a little bit. But before I call you up, we're going to be reading two passages of scripture. The first is Mark chapter 11, starting at the beginning of the chapter. And then we'll flip on over to John chapter 12, starting in verse 12. And so children, if if you would listen closely along with the rest of the group as we read these passages, then I'll be calling you up in just a few minutes. Mark chapter 11, verse 1. Now when they, that is Jesus and the disciples, drew near Jerusalem to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples. And he said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and as soon as you have entered it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send it here. So they went their way and found the colt tied by the door outside on the street, and they loosed it. But some of those who stood there said to them, What are you doing loosing the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded, so they let them go. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then those who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna, that is, save now. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. So when he had looked around at all things, as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Turning now to John's gospel to read his account of the things that happened that day. John chapter 12, beginning in verse 12. John tells us the next day a great multitude that had come to the feast, that is the feast of Passover and the feast of unleavened bread, these two Jewish holidays, they they occurred together. Uh, Passover kicked off the event and then they continued for a whole week long with the feast of unleavened bread. And so you would have had a lot of people coming to Jerusalem to observe the feast, the holiday. A great multitude had come to the feast. When they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, save us now. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. This is the word of the Lord. Children, would you come on down front and meet me there?
just a few minutes, we're going to be reading some scripture again that talks about that holiday that the Israelites, the Jewish people, were celebrating that week. That week after Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the back of a young donkey and everyone praised him and they put down these things here, these palm branches on the road in front of him, and they were shouting, Hosanna, save us, save us now. You're the king of Israel. You're the son of David. They were saying, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. But many of those people probably had a very different idea in their head of what a Messiah would look like and what he would do. When they were crying out, save us, save us now, they were saying, we want you to lead an army and get rid of the Roman government that has control of our country, and we want you to set up your own government and rule over not only Israel, but the entire world. See, when they were thinking, son of David, Messiah, Christ, they were thinking of a warrior king, a general perhaps, who would lead them into battle. When we think of Christ, we think of a savior, don't we? You see, they were looking for a savior. They were saying, save us now. But we understand that Jesus came to be a much greater savior than someone who leads an army. Jesus came to save us from our sins. He came to save us from death and eternal separation from God. He came to bring us to God. He came to make us right with God. He came so that our sins could be forgiven. That's the kind of savior that he was going to be. The people who waved the palm branches that day, I don't really think that they could have understood that. When they were saying, save us, save us now, they wanted someone to lead an army and save them from their enemies. They didn't realize that they had bigger enemies. They didn't realize that they had sin and death and separation from God. Those were the biggest enemies of all. They just didn't understand yet. You know, later that week, the people in Jerusalem, they weren't shouting, save us now, Jesus. They weren't saying, Jesus, you're our king. They were shouting something different later that week. Just five days later, looks on their faces. They were shouting, crucify him! Nail him to a cross. Some of them were spitting on him. Just five days later. Five days later, after they had been shouting out praises to him, some of these same people perhaps were shouting out very different things. Crucify him. Now, I told you that all of this was happening on very special week, a very special week for the people of Israel. It was the week when they had a major feast. It was their New Year's celebration. You say, wait a second, isn't New Year's on January 1st? Not for the people of Israel. Their New Year's celebration happened this time of year, in the spring, and it happened 
at a special holiday called Passover. Now there's a there's a really good story that goes along with Passover. We're going to be reading it from the Bible in just a couple minutes, but before we read it, I want to tell it to you in a very simple way. Long, 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 long time ago, before the people of Israel lived in their own nation, in their own land, they lived in Egypt. And things had been very good for them for a while, but then a new king came over Egypt, a pharaoh who didn't remember the history of the people of Israel. And he grew scared of them. He was afraid because there were so many of them. And so he began to hurt them and he made them slaves. They didn't have freedom anymore. They had to work hard and he made their lives very difficult. And they cried out to God. They said, save us, save us now. And God heard the prayers of his people raised up a savior, a deliverer, whose name was Moses. And God talked to Moses from a bush that was burning, but it wasn't being burnt up. And God said, Moses, I've called you to do a job. You will go down to Egypt. You will talk to the Pharaoh, the king, and you will tell him, the Lord says, let my people go so they may serve me and worship me. But Moses, I'm going to tell you right now that the Pharaoh, the king, he won't listen. He will make his heart hard, and he won't let the people go. And because of that, I am going to show signs and wonders, and I am going to send plagues, ten of them, on the land of Egypt. And finally, the Pharaoh, the king, will let my people go. And it happened just as the Lord had said. Moses went down there. He said, the Lord says, let my people go. Pharaoh said, no, I will not. God sent a plague. The waters of the river Nile in Egypt turned red. They turned blood. Moses said, the Lord says, let my people go. No, I will not. Another plague. There'll be two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And after the tenth plague, Pharaoh was finally broken, and he said, go, just leave, leave. The Lord told Moses, get the people ready. Tonight you have to eat a meal, but you have to eat it quickly, because there is going to be one last plague. I'm sorry, this was after nine plagues. The Lord said there's going to be one last plague, a tenth plague, and it's going to be so severe. The firstborn, the firstborn child in every family is going to die. But there is a way to be safe. There's a way to be protected. This is what you must do. You must select a lamb, a perfect lamb. It can't be crippled. It can't be blind. It can't have any problem with it. It must be a perfect lamb. And you are to kill that lamb and you're to cook it. You're to cook it with bitter herbs, like horseradish. And you are to eat it while you're sitting at your tables with your coats on and your walking stick in your hand, eat it like you're ready to leave at any moment because you need to be ready to leave at any moment. The blood from the lamb that you cook, you have to take that blood and you have to paint some of it above the door of your home and on the sides of the door too. And then eat the meal and be ready to leave quickly because I'm taking you out of Egypt. And that's how it happened. 
that night, death came to many households in Egypt. And there was a lot of crying and a lot of weeping. But every house that had the blood painted on the sides and top of the door, death passed over. It didn't go into that house. It just kept on going. So, the people of Israel were protected. There were even many Egyptians, no doubt, who were protected too, because through all of the signs and wonders, they had come to believe on the God of Israel, and they obeyed as well. Death passed over. And the Lord told Moses, this is going to be the beginning of your year. And this is going to be your holiday from now on, throughout the rest of all of your generations. Celebrate the Passover. And remember that death passed over your homes. Because when I looked down and I saw the blood on the doors, I said, these ones belong to me and death passed over. Celebrate the Passover, he told Moses. That was their holiday, the Passover holiday. We're gonna be reading about it from the scripture in just a minute, but before we read that, let's have prayer, and then I have an important job for you to do for me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you how you delivered the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt so long ago, and it is a picture of how you would do something even greater. You would deliver men and women, boys and girls, from sin and from death through the greatest Savior of all, Jesus Christ. Because of the blood of Jesus, the Lamb of God, you have passed over our sins. Jesus is our Passover. And you remember our sins no more. And you've brought us into your family. We thank you, Father, for the great deliverance, the great salvation that you have done for us through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now, a special job. Here on the altar, you can see we have palm leaves. Everybody needs to get one, at least one, maybe two, maybe three if there's enough. Would you pass these out for me? Will you take them around, make sure everyone gets some palm leaves, and if there's still some left over, pass out some more. But make sure you keep a few for yourselves, too. As the girls are, are doing this special job that I asked them to do, and, and thank you, by the way, for making sure we had these palm leaves here today. As they're doing this, I'm going to turn in the scriptures to Exodus chapter 12. And as they're distributing the palms, I will read the word of the Lord. Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 14. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. In other words, make sure there's enough food for everyone to eat. If you have to partner up with another household, 
do that, but make sure you have enough food. Your lamb shall be without blemish, perfect, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now, you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. Now, I don't know if you picked up the dates here. You're to select the lamb on the 10th day of the month. 10th day, select the lamb. A perfect, without blemish, male lamb. It could be of the sheep or of the goats. Select it on the 10th day. You're to keep it until the 14th day. What's the purpose of that? Examination. They are to inspect it during that period of time. Inspect the lamb throughout that week and make sure it really is without blemish. Make sure nothing's wrong with this animal. Inspect it carefully. I think I find it interesting, and you will too, that our Lord rode into Jerusalem on that donkey on Palm Sunday. Between then and Good Friday, inspection was made. He was the Lamb of God. He rode in on the 10th day of the month, according to the scriptures, and he was inspected by the Pharisees, by the rabbis, by the Sadducees, by the Herodians. You can read it in the scriptures, how they all challenged him in one way or another. Teacher, they said, we have this question for you. They all challenged him and inspected him during that period of time. He was the Lamb of God. Keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night roasted in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw, nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire, its head with its legs and its entrails. You shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire. And thus you shall eat it, with a belt on your waist and your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. That means hurry. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this day shall be to you a memorial and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Those were the instructions for the very first Passover that the nation of Israel observed. And you know how the Lord brought Israel out of Egypt, led them through the midst of the Red Sea, a pillar of cloud before them by day, a pillar of fire by night. He led them through the wilderness to the very brink of the promised land, the land of Canaan, and there they fumbled the ball at the goal line. When despite having seen all the mighty works of the Lord, they doubted Him. Unbelief locked up their hearts 
and they didn't go in. And the Lord said, this generation will not enter into my rest. You will not enter the land of rest. This generation will fall in the wilderness and I will take your children and your grandchildren in to the land that I have promised. And so it was that for 40 long years, the people of Israel wandered in the wilderness, unable to go in and claim that which the Lord had promised because of their unbelief. 40 years pass, camped on the plains of Moab, just outside of Canaan. The Lord speaks to Moses and he gives instructions for the Passover. They're going to be going in very soon to this new land. How do we observe the Passover once we go into the new land, once we enter into our place of rest? Well, the Lord has instructions for them. We find them in Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 1 through 8, which is where I'll begin reading. The Lord speaking through Moses says, Observe the month of Abib and keep the Passover to the Lord your God. For in the month of Abib, the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night. Therefore, you shall sacrifice the Passover to the Lord your God from the flock of from the flock and the herd in the place where the Lord chooses to put his name. Here a reference is being made to whatever place it will be that the Lord chooses for his tabernacle, or or later on, his temple, to be built. And that will be the place where the Lord has chosen to put his name and the people of Israel will be expected to come there from all over the land to worship the Lord on special occasions. So Moses is saying, wherever this place is that the Lord will choose to put his name to build his tabernacle, that's the place where the Passover will be sacrificed. He says in verse 3, You shall eat no leavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread with it. That is the bread of affliction. For you came out of the land of Egypt in haste. Uh, The bread of affliction. They were slaves in Egypt. They needed to leave Egypt very quickly. So quickly that there wasn't enough time for the yeast to make the bread rise. And so that night when they left Egypt, they ate flat bread because the bread hadn't risen. There was no time to put yeast in it so it could rise. Uh, Flat bread, unleavened bread. For you came out of the land of Egypt in haste that you may remember the day in which you came out of the land of Egypt all the days of your life. And no leaven shall be seen among you in all your territory for seven days, nor shall any of the meat which you sacrificed the first day at twilight remain overnight until morning. You may not sacrifice the Passover within any of your gates, which the Lord your God gives you. I want you to pay close attention to that one. It will be important here in just a little bit. You may not sacrifice the Passover within any of your gates, which the Lord your God gives you. But at that place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide, there you shall sacrifice the Passover at twilight, at the going down of the sun, at the time that you came out of Egypt. And you shall roast it and eat it in the place which the Lord your God chooses. And in the morning you shall turn and go to your tents. Six days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a sacred assembly to the Lord your God. You shall do no work on it. This is the word of the Lord.
I know there was a lot there, a lot to take in. But for our purposes this morning, thinking of that Passover lamb that would be sacrificed, I want you to remember it had to happen outside the gates. It wasn't going to happen where you lived. It happens outside the gates. And so it is, I invite you to turn in your scriptures, if you're turning, to Hebrews chapter 13. We are skipping ahead just a little bit in our study of the book of Hebrews. We will be going back in later weeks to pick up the things that we left behind. But today we're in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 8 through 14. And let's consider the word of the Lord here today. Jesus Christ, it says in verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines, that is, teachings. For it's good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals that are sacrificed, whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin, are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify, that is, make holy and set apart a people for God, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. This is the word of the Lord. I suspect that there may be more here than immediately meets your eye. We're going to get into it quickly. We start in verse 8 with Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. We're talking about the eternality of Jesus Christ. And then the very next verse segues into talking about don't let yourself be carried off and carried away with strange teachings, new ideas. How do those two cars on the train link up? We're talking about Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And then we go right into don't get carried away with strange teachings. How do we hook those cars together? I think this is what the apostle is driving at. Jesus Christ is eternal. Can I get about a dozen amens in here? Amen. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Because Jesus is eternal, his teaching, his word is also eternal. Do you see where it hooks up now? Jesus Christ is the same. He does not change. Praise God. His word remains the same. It also does not change. Because Jesus is eternal and unchanging, so too his word is eternal and unchanging. And here is the practical point to take away from this. Don't be carried away 
by new or strange teachings of a questionable pedigree. Well, where would I find something like that, preacher? Just go on YouTube or turn on the TV. There are good preachers on TV who teach the eternal, unchanging Word of God. But there are also some, and you know it for a fact yourself, there are some who don't. You can find these strange new teachings just about anywhere. Don't be carried away by them. Don't be carried off by these things. Stick to the teaching of Jesus and his apostles as it is contained in this book, the Bible. Stick to this. Don't be carried off by new and strange teachings. He goes on here. He says, it's good for the believer's heart to be established by God's grace. I supplied a couple words there to make the sense clear for you. I don't want to make it that I'm changing the scripture. But it's good, the apostle says, for the heart to be established by grace. The one who has believed on Jesus Christ and trusted in him for his or her salvation, your heart, the very core of who you are, needs to be established, founded, rooted and grounded in the grace of God. You remember what grace is? God's unmerited favor. That means God smiles on you and it's not because you did something good. But grace is also merited favor. It's earned. It's just you and I didn't earn it. Jesus earned it, right? I want to make that very clear. Jesus earned God's favor for us. We couldn't do it. No matter how hard we might try, we couldn't earn God's favor. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23 says. But Jesus could do it, and he did it. He earned God's favor for all of those who trust in him. You've received God's favor. That's called grace. can't be earned. You can't work for it. It's not given to good people. It's given to forgiven people. Got it? That's what your heart needs to be rooted and established in. Understand, you're a sinner and you can't earn God's favor. Jesus is sinless and he did earn God's favor and it's freely given to you as a gift. Someone took the word grace and I know I've shared it before. Forgive me for being a broken record. But someone took the word grace and they made an acronym out of it. G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. He picked up the bill. He paid for the meal. You got it? Let your heart be established by that. Let your heart be rooted and grounded in that simple truth. The believer's heart is to be established by God's grace, not by religion, not by rituals, not by traditions. For, for, for these Hebrews, these Jewish believers who were hearing these words from the apostle, the apostles reminding them, your heart is not to be established by the laws of the Torah, the Old Testament law of Moses. Your heart is not established in that covenant. Your heart is established in the grace of God. And you know, it's a funny thing. I doubt any single one of us here has any significant Jewish ancestry, much less 
most Christian churches in the United States of America. But do you know how many Christians there are who read back into the Old Testament and they say, oh, I need to be observing all of these things. You're not under that covenant Christian brother, Christian sister, that's the old covenant of Moses. You are not bound to that and you're not under that. You're under the new covenant of God's grace in Christ. Can we find good principles in the Old Testament? Yes. Can we learn what God is like? Yes. You are not under the old covenant, however, needing to perform the old covenant rituals, the religious ceremonies and rites. You're not under that. You're not under the dietary laws and restrictions. You're not under that. You are under the new covenant of grace in Christ. And that's the point that the apostles making to these Jewish Christians who are perhaps being tempted to turn back away from the persecution they're experiencing as followers of Christ and turn back to the old covenant, go back to the temple, go back to the Old Testament priests, the Old Testament sacrifices of animals. And the apostles saying, you can't be established in that. Your heart needs to be established in the grace of God, which is found only in the new covenant made through the blood of Jesus Christ, the only Lamb of God. He's saying here, grace, the grace that I want your hearts to be established in, grace is the real thing. What you knew before under the old covenant, under Torah, under law, that was the shadow. That was the shadow that pointed to the real thing. In Christ, you have the real thing. In God's grace, you have the real thing. Don't turn away from the real thing. Now we can say those words were written to Jewish Christians nearly 2,000 years ago, yes, but they are still just as true for us today. There are many things that you can turn to in turning away from God's grace, trying to earn your salvation, trying to earn favor with God, turning back to rules and rituals. Do not touch, do not taste. Paul talks about some of these things in his letters particularly to the Colossians. If, if you really want to dig a little deeper into this, this week, read Paul's letter to the Colossians and learn about being rooted and grounded in Christ and in the grace of God and not putting your trust in the rituals and the traditions that were but mere shadows of what was to come. Secondly, moving quickly, verse 10. The apostle says, we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. He's talking about that altar at the temple in Jerusalem where the Levitical priests offer animal sacrifices in obedience to the law, to the old covenant. The apostle here says, we have a new covenant and our new covenant has an altar too. And Those who serve at the old covenant altar, they don't have a right to partake of what we partake of. Let's consider that for a moment. Under the old covenant, the priests ate the sacrifices that were offered on the altar. Did you know that? It was part of the provision that God made for the priesthood of the old covenant. Sacrifices were offered on the altar that supplied food for the priest. 
In certain situations, it even supplied food for the person who had brought the offering to be offered on the altar. The old covenant priests ate of the sacrifice. The new covenant sacrifice for sin is not a bull or a goat or a lamb. No, the new covenant sacrifice for sin is the person, Jesus Christ. And only those who partake of him through faith, trusting in his finished, once for all sacrifice for sins, only those who partake of Jesus have any part of Jesus. Only those who partake of Jesus have any right to the atonement, the peace that he has made between God and man. Jesus talked about this in John chapter 6. We won't turn to it, but John 6, verses 47 through 59. Jesus said some hard words. Even his disciples said, Jesus, this is a hard saying. And because of the things Jesus said, many turned away. Jesus said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. Many turned away because of the things he had said. Jesus said, the words I speak to you are spirit and life. He's saying, I'm not telling you to literally eat my my flesh and literally drink my blood. I'm speaking about spiritual things to you. What I'm saying is unless you partake of me and receive me completely as if you were receiving a meal, you don't have any part in me. You have to receive me. You have to partake of me. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. Many turned away. Jesus said to his disciples, the 12, he said, are you turning away also? Peter said, Lord, It's a hard thing you say, but where would we go? You alone have the words of life. Jesus said that unless we partake of him, we have no part in the new covenant that he's making between God and man. You cannot have the forgiveness of God without having Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You won't find a way to do it. Jesus said, many have tried to climb up over the wall into the sheepfold, but I am the door. All who try to climb in some other way are thieves and robbers. I am the door of the sheepfold. You must come in by me. If you don't enter by Jesus, you have no claim to grace and forgiveness from God. It's only through Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. The apostle is saying that the shadow priests, boy, that sounds sinister, doesn't it? It Sounds like something you'd see in an Indiana Jones movie, perhaps. The shadow priests, the priests of the old covenant who were performing the rites and rituals that were but mere shadows of the new covenant that would come under Jesus Christ. The shadow priests, he says, who minister in the covenant of shadows have no right to partake of the salvation that Christ offers. Why? Because they have rejected Christ and his sacrifice. Now, could that change? Certainly. Anyone can come to God through Jesus Christ. Those old covenant priests of the apostles' day, if they were to turn to Christ in faith, they could come in. And if they did that, they would step over into the new covenant and they would find life and they would find grace because they would be partaking of Jesus Christ. But as long as they or any of us 
remain in a state of rejection, refusing to partake of Christ, refusing that way. We don't have God's grace and forgiveness. It's over there in Christ, in the new covenant. And anyone who stays here, whether it's in the old covenant or whether it's in the new age or whether it's in any other religion that mankind has devised, even if it's a religion of your own devising, or even if you, you exist in the religion that we call atheism, as long as you're here, you have no right to any of that over there. Loud and clear. Verses 11 through 12. We have to touch on this point because it's the one I wanted you to take note of. 11 and 12, he talks about the bodies of those sacrificial animals under the old covenant. Those carcasses are taken outside the city and they are burned outside the camp. Just as the Passover lamb was to be taken and killed outside the gate, the point he's making here in verse 12 is, Therefore Jesus also, so that he might sanctify, that is, make holy and set apart to God the people with his own blood, he also suffered outside the gate. You remember the cross beam of the cross was laid upon his shoulders and he was forced to carry it through the narrow winding streets of Jerusalem outside the city and there on the hill called Golgotha, Calvary, the place of the skull, Jesus our Lord was crucified outside the city. Verse 13, the apostle says, let's join Jesus. Jesus said, if anyone wants to follow me, he will have to take up his cross and follow me. You're not doing it without a cross. Therefore, let us go forth to him, to Jesus, outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. The apostle says, let's join Jesus. It means heading outside the camp. What did that mean for the people who received this letter from the apostle? It meant this. Joining Jesus means stepping away from the old covenant, temple worship, sacrifice of animals, the rites and rituals, the, the shadows of the old covenant that only served to point to Jesus. It means stepping away from all that. It means... For these Jewish Christians, it meant stepping away from acceptance with their peers. And it's going to involve reproach, scorn, maybe suffering and persecution. Let's join Jesus. It involves self-denial and receiving reproach from others in some cases. The apostle is saying, he bore his cross when he bore our sins. Let us bear his reproach. We're going to have to step away from that in order to go to Jesus. Now, none of us were raised as Jews under the old covenant, but every single one of us has things that we will have to step away from in order to go join Jesus. And I don't have to tell you what those things are for you. You know. The Holy Spirit will tell you what those things are. I can give you a list of examples, but it's unnecessary. 
you know that following Jesus comes with a cost. You know that you may have to bear reproach or disapproval from others. There are some Christians in this world who even suffer persecution and they pay the ultimate price for following the one who carried our sins when he carried his cross. The apostle says, let's us carry his reproach and go join him. Step away from that and join Jesus and you'll have a right to the grace and forgiveness that God offers in him. Lastly and very quickly, as we conclude, verse 14 mentions, For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. No continuing city. I think that what the apostle is saying here is this. He's saying here in the city of Jerusalem, which is the heart and center of Old Testament covenant worship of God, There's no future here for us, brothers and sisters, he is saying to those who are receiving this letter. There is no future here. Indeed, Hebrews being one of the very last letters that was written in the New Testament was within just a year to 18 months of the Roman armies laying siege to the city of Jerusalem. And despite early successes on the part of the Jewish nation, the end was atrocious. The temple was destroyed. The power of the people of Israel was shattered. And old covenant worship, as the author of Hebrews had predicted in chapters 8, 10, and 12, came to an end and disappeared and vanished forever. At the time, that was an unthinkable thing. How could that possibly happen? But it did. The old covenant blew away. And what remained was the new covenant, which is eternal, which is forever. The apostle says, we don't have a continuing city here. There's no future in old covenant. You need to step over to the new covenant of God's grace in Christ Jesus. That is the only future. The only sure thing about the old covenant and its city of earthly Jerusalem is that it's about to be removed. So, why return to shadows when in Christ, regardless of the, of the reproach that may be attached to following him, in Christ we have the substance. Why go back to shadows? Here you have the substance. You've got the real thing. There is an eternal city. There is a future for the people of God. And that future is in Christ Jesus, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. On Palm Sunday, many gladly received Jesus into the city on their terms, in their picture of what a Messiah should look like but they were unwilling to go with him and join him outside the gate. And so it was in the apostles' day. Many were unwilling to leave the old and step into the new. Ask yourself, what are you unwilling to leave behind in the old in order to join Jesus and step into the new and follow him wholeheartedly? How about those that God has put into your life? Your family members, friends, neighbors, 
they need to know. There is no future for anyone outside of Jesus and the new covenant. There is no way forward. This is not a way among many. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Join yourself to him. Hitch your car to that train. It's the only way forward. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks that you took away the old and you established the new. The old was contrary to us. It could only show us how far we fall short of measuring up to your righteousness. But in Christ Jesus, you have supplied a righteousness for us, the only righteousness which can bring a man, woman, boy, or girl to you. We thank you that Christ is our peace. He is our Passover. He is our righteousness. And he is the only way. There is no future in any other. Help us to take this to heart, Father, that our hearts may be established in your grace, trusting nothing else. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and righteousness. Amen. May the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is our Passover, who is our righteousness, who is Emmanuel, God with us, the Christ, the anointed Savior. In no one else is there any future. May the grace and peace that come only through him guard your hearts and minds and be with you today, this week, and even forever. Amen. Thank you for having tuned in with us today. We hope you found the time in worship and the word to be encouraging, challenging, and strengthening. If so, we'd love to hear from you. We realize there are so many ways you could spend your time. We're glad you chose to spend it with us in worship and the word. Until next time, may the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be with you all today, this week, and forever.